What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to Felony Friday. This is a weekly show of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, we have four shows here on Lions of Liberty. We kick off every single week with our longest-running program, our flagship program, hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement, and he hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is uh, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. Brian's doing a phenomenal job. If you missed last week's episode with Owen Benjamin, go back and check that one out. It is an interesting episode, to say the least. And sandwiched right between that Monday and Wednesday time slot, those two shows, is our newest show, our Tuesday show, at least for the time being. It's called Candidates of Liberty, and it focuses on uh, telling the story, sharing, uh, bringing on candidates who are running for office in the Libertarian Party and giving them the opportunity to talk about their campaign, talk about their motivations, and talk about the reasons why they are seeking public office and why they care about the message of liberty. The reason we started that show is because over the past couple of weeks, uh, over the past couple of months, I should say, going to Porkfest, going to the Libertarian National Convention in New Orleans, we met a lot of great Libertarian candidates, and we simply were not going to be able to talk to all of them unless we started a new show. So we started a new show. We were able to do that uh, through funding, through the uh, support we have uh, through our Lions Pride. And our Lions Pride, is it's a Patreon group where they get bonus content and merchandise and they get to talk with us, do conference calls, stuff like that. There's different levels, of course. You can learn all about the different levels and where you best fit in to support us, to help us to continue to grow this show by going to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. Now, before we get started, two more things. First thing, the show notes for today's episode. You want to go to lionsofliberty.com slash FF139. This is the 139th episode. Second thing, my guest today is going to be Weldon Angelo. So I'll introduce him in just a moment. But this is a guy I've wanted to have on Felony Friday for a very long time. His case had a ton of notoriety and really brought a lot of people um, or gave a lot of notice to the flaws, to the injustice in the criminal justice system that is mandatory minimums, that is nonviolent offenders being locked up for decades and decades on end. So I will introduce Weldon in just a moment. Please consider joining the Pride, supporting the show. Thank you so much, and let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Weldon Angelos. Weldon launched a successful music career that brought him nationwide recognition, and he's the, uh, the founder of the rap label Extravagant Records. At the time, many considered him an up-and-coming entrepreneur in the industry, and uh, he wrote and produced songs with many acclaimed artists, including Snoop Dogg. Now, this was all prior to uh, May of 
2002, I think. And during that time frame, he was set up by uh, Salt Lake City Police, and there was a series of controlled marijuana buys. We, we can get into the specifics of that during this interview. But essentially what happened is uh, there was a confidential informant, and he purchased a half pound of marijuana, I think one or two times, uh, from Weldon. And ultimately, uh, this led to a 55-year prison sentence. And this was due to uh, the marijuana purchase plus a firearm uh, being in Weldon's presence at the time. And this presence was so extreme that the judge at the time was unable to do anything but protested it and called on the president to uh, commute the sentence. So, Weldon, thank you so much for coming on Felony Friday. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here, man. And, I've, you know, I've wanted to have you on for a while because I think your your story is is just so powerful. And I've seen at least the intro to your documentary that you're uh, that you're putting out. And it really talks about, you know, at the time you were very influential in the uh, within uh, the rap community, and you felt like the rap community was being put on trial at that time. So, can you just tell? I guess a good place to start is before the arrest, before anything went down. Can you just tell us about really what got you into the music business? How you got your start there? Yeah, so. Um Probably my early teens, um, my family on my mother's side are all musicians. Um, they live in Nashville, Tennessee, Tennessee, and they played backup for famous jazz and country artists. However, I was more drawn to hip hop. You know, I grew up in a, a you know, in a um, poor home. You know, my, my father was on welfare, single parent. Um, so I was more drawn to hip hop. So I think when I was about 15 years old, I was traveling to L.A., trying to, you know, get in the studio to record a couple songs and end up meeting some artists. One of the Tupac outlaws named Napoleon, he ended up becoming my best friend. Um, so some years later, I was in my early 20s, I had established my own record label and I had produced an album with Snoop Dogg. Um, and it had the Tupac outlaws, Snoop Dogg, and a lot of West Coast artists on it. Um, but at the same time I was involved with marijuana, uh, my career didn't really financially stabilize at the time. So I was still, you know, kind of, you know, trying to maintain, you know, while I was waiting for everything to unfold. And um, the local authorities had heard about me. You know, there's a lot of buzz because I was working with all these big artists. Salt Lake City is not really known for having, you know, these kind of uh, acts come out here. So and I was having, you know, big celebrities come out here to do music videos. And I did one with Snoop Dogg called A Little More Dope to Smoke. <laughs> In the video, you know, everyone's smoking weed, and, you know, it's just it was a typical Snoop Dogg video. Um, and the local authorities had found out. And this guy I had known since I was like 15 had went to prison. He got out of jail and he caught a new case and was facing like 25 years. Um, he was a violent offender. Um, he had like, I think three prior felonies or I don't know how many, but he had some felonies. And so they, he was willing to cooperate. He never mentioned anything about me, but it brought me up because they seen I was doing something. And there was word on the street that I was selling drugs or guns to rappers on the West Coast. Um, total BS, but um, mm -hmm. that's how it started. So, you know, of course, the informant wanted to get out of trouble. He says, yeah, of course I know him. I could approach him. And he had called me and said that he um, was hurting. He needed some money. He needed to start out with some weed to help, you know, get his family some things he needed. So um, I said, okay. I sold him uh, $300 worth of marijuana three times. Um, and after, uh, there was a point when my CD finally came out with Snoop Dogg and I started getting checks coming in and, and I just quit talking to the guy and he kept calling me saying, I need a pound of meth. I need guns. And I was like, well, you're calling the wrong person. 
you know, I'm done. I'm doing my music thing. I said, I don't do that. He even tried to get me to meet him at a school, at a, at a high school. Um, but at that point I said, you know, please stop calling me. I'm not doing this anymore. Do you start to like get a little worried at that point in time that he was, I did. I did. And at the time I was pretty much done because I, I was making like $25,000 a month off my one album. And I had produced a couple other albums that were coming out. So, mm-hmm. you know, things started happening and I was not really trying to do, not even sell weed anymore, but he was asking for Coke, guns, meth, you know? And at that point I just said, you know what? Stop calling me. Um, and he kept calling me, kept calling me, threatening me, trying to get me to meet him, was mad. I never met him, never called him back. Um, about six months after the marijuana transactions, um, they had re-debriefed the informant. Um, they had created police reports of the incident, which said it was just a marijuana transaction. There was like four or five officers that debriefed him afterwards. There was nothing but a marijuana charge. That's all they talked about. They debriefed him, made like a two-page report by each officer but it had every detail, everything he told them, there was nothing about anything else. So after I quit talking to him, I wouldn't, you know, agree to any more transactions. They re-debriefed him six months later. And this time they said, oh, and he saw a gun back then. Only one officer re- recalled this, entered it into the new police report. Um, and then I got indicted on uh, uh, carrying a firearm while selling marijuana, which was a mandatory minimum of five years. Um, so... That was the first indictment. They superseded my indictment two more times to add four additional uh, gun enhancements, which w- which put me at about 105 years of mandatory minimums that I was facing. Um, I, I, I maintained my innocence on the two gun counts, and that forced me to trial, um, where I was acquitted on some and convicted on the three key counts, which uh, ultimately um, landed me a 55-year sentence. Five for the first one and 25 for each subsequent offense. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, and my judge at the time, he was a staunch conservative. We were kind of worried about him as far as sentencing because he wasn't really, you know, too helpful during trial. Um, but when he ended up looking at my case and looking at the sentence, he had a complete change of heart uh, on these sentencing issues. And he did something, you know, unprecedented. And he asked the government to file a brief on whether this was even constitutional. Um, and he also polled the jury and asked for their recommendation on what a proper sentence would be. And none of them recommended anything close to what I what I ended up receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, you know, he authored a 65-page opinion, uh, you know, cr- criticizing the sentence, but at the end saying he had no choice but to impose it. So at, at that point in time, like, what what is go what was going through your mind? You get that sentence, 55 years in prison. Did you ever think, did you think that you were going to serve the majority of that, or did you think there was a way out at the time? I never thought it was even possible in America, even though they're saying, hey, if you go to trial, this is what you're facing. I, I, I grew up around people in my community who committed murder, committed home invasions, armed robbery, bank robberies, and they served a fraction of that sentence. Um, so I was like, there's no way for a first-time marijuana offense, I'm going to go to prison for 55 years. I just didn't believe it. I felt like they were just threatening me. I felt someone higher up a judge or an appellate judge could fix it and change it. Um, I mean, I was completely wrong because I never had any interaction with the federal system. So I didn't know how out of whack our laws were. But I was just in denial, and I just didn't believe it. Um, and I was innocent on two counts, and the government wouldn't let me plead to some and go to trial on others. It's like you either – plead, take their deal, or you go to trial on everything. So I had to go to trial and contest, you know, everything. What, what was the plea deal they offered you? They offered me, I think it was about 16 years for one marijuana count, which under the state, even the U.S. attorney who uh, later resigned or um, when Obama took over, he came out publicly and said, had I been prosecuted in the state, I would have gotten six months for all my charges in the state. 
but they wanted me to accept 16 years on one count. Unreal, man. So you, you're, you're in prison and, uh, at the time on the outside, there were a lot of people that were sort of being your advocates, right? And some that maybe were, were unexpected being like, uh, Senator Mike Lee out of Utah. Um, I think that might've happened, happened later, but, uh, the Koch brothers, I know they got involved. That surprises a lot of people, but you know, I've been, you know, watching the criminal justice system for a while with this podcast and they, the Koch brothers are, are pretty good when it comes to criminal justice reform, prison reform. But a lot of people don't, don't think of them as being, as that being their thing. But, uh, so how did this all, how did this culminate? How did you end up ultimately getting your sentence commuted? Well, um, initially we had, I think it started with like the local mayor, um, a few uh, local advocate activists that were pushing my case. And then um, we ended up because of my judge coming out publicly, it attracted the attention of um, a former federal judge out of New York who authored an amicus brief. And he convinced um, four former U S attorneys general to sign on my, uh, my um, uh, Supreme court brief, even including Janet Reno. Um, there was, I think it was 165 in total, former federal prosecutors, federal judges, um, and that kind of, um, you know, put my case back in the spotlight and it attracted other people. Um, actually, Senator Mike Lee was a prosecutor in the office while my case was being prosecuted. And my case had came acro- come across his desk um, by the man who prosecuted me was trying to seek his, his counsel on whether this sentence would be sustained on appeal. And he looked at the sentence and said it's messed up. He didn't agree with the sentence. Um, there was other folks in the U.S. Attorney's Office that didn't agree with it, but ultimately my prosecutor, you know, it was his call. Um, so Senator Mike Lee, when he ran for the Senate and, and was elected in 2010, he said this is something that he wanted to fix because he remembers seeing, you know, and he remembers seeing my judge's opinion and that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of he felt that and he felt like that my sentence was wrong as well. So that's where he ended up getting involved. But um, so the Koch brothers, that was surprising for me as well. Um, but it was definitely, uh, uh, helpful and I'm, and I didn't know any, I didn't know they were this big on justice reform as well. I figured they were like, you know, what the media says about them, you know, the, the, the Charles Cokes, the boogeyman, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, after meeting them personally and, and, and seeing what all the work they do and actually being a part of it, you know, the, the Coke people are perfect on criminal justice. So how much, how much time did you end up serving then? I ended up serving about 13 years. Um, we had filed a, a clemency petition to President Obama in 2012, and that sat there for almost four years with no action whatsoever, despite a letter from Senator Mike Lee, despite um, letters from celebrities such as movie or actors, musicians, Grammy award winning musicians. Um, you know, everyone you can think of on the left and the right were supporting me, no action. Um, so it took, I think, Senator Mike Lee and my judge and the Koch brothers, the public pressure finally convinced my prosecutor to go back to court and, you know, ask the, the court to uh, commute the rest of my sentence, essentially. Which is pretty unprecedented for a prosecutor to go back and do that. I mean, that's pretty rare. I think he said that he felt I should have done the 15 years or 16, whatever, anyway. And in light of the um, President Obama's changes in his Department of Justice, they changed their charging policy. So under those changes... I wouldn't have been charged with multiple gun counts. I would have been charged with only the first one. So, you know, had I been prosecuted at the time of those changes, I would have only been charged with the one and faced only uh, probably at most 10 years. So he said, based on that, you know, and coupled with the, with the way the marijuana laws are changing, that he felt that it was time to go back and fix my sentence. And 
my, my clemency petition was just sitting there. So I didn't know if I was going to get granted. And so, I mean, without that, I probably could still be sitting there because uh, one thing Obama did not do was fix the pardon process. Um, mm-hmm. so controlled by the Department of Justice. No petition gets granted without their blessing. And so if I didn't have their blessing, so I probably would still be sitting in prison or not for my prosecutor. Yeah, because I mean, there's plenty of people sitting in prison right now just on marijuana charges, life in prison. There's, it's, it's crazy. People don't know that. Um, so I, I know that's one thing you've been doing. I mean, you've been really active speaking out for the need for criminal justice reform. Um, can you talk about you know some of the, uh, you know some of the, the things you've done, people you've met with, and, and how you're how you're working that angle? Yeah, so uh, we've been doing a lot. We're actually producing a docu series, which was recently picked up by Mark Wahlberg. Um, he's created a new production company for non-scripted films called Unrealistic Ideas. And he picked up uh, my film and we're turning it into a docu-series. So we're going to have the feature film, which is going to be about, you know, the justice system through the lens of my case. It's going to, you know, go through my story and everything. And then the series is going to pick up with me actually going out and working on individual cases, lobbying Congress. Um, And since I've been out of prison, in addition to the film, we've, you know, we've had panel discussions everywhere. We did South by Southwest I brought Snoop Dogg and the Charles Koch Institute together to have a panel on justice reform, and that was very successful. Um, I went and spoke recently with Senator Cory Booker at the Center for American Progress on ending the war on marijuana. Um, so basically just trying to educate the public, trying to build support for reform, trying to bring the unlikely allies that got me out together to help push for reform. And so far, you know, it's working. I, I'm confident that we can see some reform before the year's over. Yeah. So do you think, cause there is, I know there's a bill. It doesn't, it doesn't really reform the sentencing. I don't think maybe I'm wrong. I, I, well, the, the, the bill that's reform in there. Yeah, yeah. It has you know better than me. Reform, and then it has, it fixes the statute that I was sentenced under that gives you five, 25 and 25. Okay. Um, it, it fixes that, but it's not retroactive and it needs to be. So it, it Congress is saying, you know, this is wrong. We shouldn't have done it. It was a misinterpretation by the Supreme Court, but we're not going to help people who've already been sentenced, which is wrong. But I'm, I'm happy it's get fixed. We can fight for retroactivity after. Um, and then it mm-hmm. makes the crack law that um, the Obama administration passed in 2010 retroactive. Um, it also loosens up the safety valve, which was, was, was really strict and only applied to a narrow category of offenders. Um, and it also changes mandatory life for certain um, drug offenders. So there's four pieces of important... Um, um, pieces of legislation in that proposal and they're good ones. It doesn't go far enough. And I'm hopeful that we can, you know, if we can pass this, that we can keep chipping away. The cannabis industry has rapidly expanded for those Liberty lovers who want to take advantage of this growing industry. They've been met with a flood of government taxes and regulation. A lot of cannabis companies would just love to hire a full-time CFO, but that could be super, super expensive. But what if you could have the knowledge and experience of this full-time CFO at a fraction of the cost. If you're in the cannabis business or you plan on entering the fray, then you need to schedule a free consultation with the Grow CFO, Rachel Kennerly. The Grow CFO will help to maximize cost of goods sold deductions by employing accrual and cost accounting, creating tax savings and improving cash flow. They will keep your books in an audit-ready state. If you or someone you know is either already in the cannabis industry or thinking about jumping in the fray, go to thegrowcfo.com and schedule a free consultation today. And, and this is a bill that President Trump would sign. I mean, I assume so since it's, you know Jared Kushner is the one working on it, right? Or 
I don't know. I don't know his role in, fac- in facilitating, but he's involved yeah, in some Mike capacity. I uh, had a meeting with uh, the president. I, th- I think last week, and he said that um, that he will support the bill after the midterms. That doesn't really make sense, you know. I mean, it, it could. It's, you would. I mean, you would think at least from a political, just just looking at it politically, wouldn't you think that they would want to do that before the midterms? I, I mean, because it's something almost everyone agrees with, right? I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't understand the logic either. I mean, people need uh, relief now because the prison reform portion of that bill provides relief for inmates. It, uh, it, it uh, helps uh, takes away the shackling of pregnant women. It you know gives people the good time that they're supposed to receive already. There's a lot of good things in the prison reform package, and that people need that now. They don't need to wait. Um, but that's that's the nature of politics. So looking at the uh, criminal justice system from a whole, just, just taking a step back. Um, I guess the war on drugs as a whole. Where, where do you think we are? And I, I don't know if you favor fully fully legalizing all drugs. That's something that I would favor. I think really the market should regulate that and take that out of really the black market and the back alleys of society where I, that's where the, a lot of the violence comes in. Um, but is that something that you think as a society, at least maybe separate marijuana out, uh, talk about first, do you think that that is something that's close to being legalized? Marijuana? Yeah. I, I hope so. I mean, it should be. I mean, that's it's ridiculous to keep it criminalized. I mean, everywhere else, look at Canada, Mexico, they're going legal. The states are going. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the very least, it should be medical, but I think it should be full, fully legal recreationally. Um, and I'm hopeful it will happen. Even this president has said that he would support the States Act, which would make it legal in any states that have marijuana laws. So I, I think, you know, we got some years, but I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that, you know, marijuana prohibition is at its end. I don't know where I really stand on the other drugs, but I definitely feel like we approach the drug problem wrong. I think we should approach it way entirely different um, and not from a criminal perspective. So what, what role do you think that uh, the rap community can have in, you know, helping to facilitate criminal justice reform with, I mean, this, this isn't the rap community, but if you look at what happened with, uh, you know, Kim Kardashian being an advocate and uh, helping to get, I'm blanking on her name. Um, Alice, who who Alice did Kim? Johnson. Alice Johnson to get, to, yeah, to get her, uh, her sense commuted. Um, it, are these things that you think that the, the rap community can start to facilitate and cause some change that way? Absolutely. And we're already seeing folks like Common. Common's really active in this movement. Um, John Legend. Um, so, and that's what we're actually trying to do. We're trying to get all these big names to come together. And my film's actually called Unlikely Allies because we bring, you know, Snoop Dogg. We bring um, a couple film producers, different musicians. And we're bringing Senator Mike Lee, you know, and Cory Booker, Coke Brothers, all these people together in my film to show that, you know, this reform has widespread support. And we're trying to, you know, you hopefully these big names can call on their fans and the people that support them to, to take action. Is, is your film out now? Is no, it available? It's still in production. Hopefully 2019. 2019. Is there anything else that you're that you're working on? Anything else you want to plug? You want to talk about? Okay, so I'm working on a book as well, which is much more comprehensive than the documentary. Um, it's got, it's the forward is going to be written by a four-time Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist from the Washington Post, um, and the book's just a really there's a lot of things about my story that the public doesn't know that I'm going to reveal in this book, um, and there's a lot of things that are going to make people rethink our entire criminal justice system. 
Uh, I wish I could say something now, but I'm trying to keep it all for the book. Uh, I think that's, it's going to be really impactful. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's understandable um, for sure. So yeah. And I do got one out, an album coming out that I had worked on prior to my release that has a lot of music that actually directly discusses the criminal justice system. Um, and I have some unreleased music with folks like Snoop Dogg and Tupac Shakur and other people. And the music is still relevant today. And I plan on remixing that and putting that out as well. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, aspect. Not interesting. I mean, it's a it's a sad aspect of it. But so you, when you were locked up, you were in the prime of your career, right? So what happened to everything that you were that you were working on? I it just everything got tabled and stuff got shelved, and like some of my music got taken off the shelves. Um, some of the music became irrelevant. Some stuff got you know bootlegged. Like I had a movie that we had put together with uh, Snoop Dogg that I end up becoming bootlegged, so it's worthless. Now. Now, like a lot, my whole career is ruined over that. You know, I was just in the prime. I was 24 years old. You know, there's not any musician I didn't have access to at the time. And I get out and, you know, everything I've done is and all the music that I still have left is almost worthless, except maybe the few songs with some of the big names that I have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this, this little uh, whatever um, little marijuana transaction just completely ruined my life. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously fantastic that you're out now, but and this goes for everybody who nonviolent offenders who've done time and then you know they've had their sentence commuted. You know, it's always amazing that I, I watch you guys come out and you I mean you seem to have a good attitude about it, but in reality, I mean you should have the right to sue the government for uh you know for to get some of that money back that you've lost out on, but I think so. <laughs> it's crazy. But now I got to start all over. I got to try to find a new career and, and just it's tough. Yeah. Well, man, I, uh, I mean, I, I know you're keeping yourself busy and I, I wish you the best of luck with, uh, you know, getting your, your career back up, back up and running again. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for doing everything you're doing with the, uh, with the docuseries you're working on and the movie and, and everything else, man. So yeah, keep, up, keep up, keep yeah. up the, uh, keep up the hard work. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to that episode today with Weldon Angelos. Uh, we did have a little bit of technical difficulties, especially on the video side. You probably noticed it. The audio side, I think I was able to clean most of it up. Um, Weldon, just a phenomenal story. As I said at the, at the onset of this, a guy I've wanted to have on this show for a long time. Finally, I was able to reach out to him, contact him, and, uh, and get him on the show. And I think his story is important for many reasons. And he kind of talked about it during the show. I just want to highlight it again. You know, I'm not going to go in a long rant, but through his story, I think he made it abundantly clear uh, with his background in the rap industry, uh, producing rap music. Uh, he was able to bring to the table um, that rap music culture, um, people uh, like Snoop Dogg and others who really came to his defense, really pointed out how insane this was that this guy, first-time offender, uh, selling some marijuana who happened to be in possession of a firearm at the time of these sales, and because of those two things and the mandatory minimum, he was sentenced to 55 years in prison. So you had the rap community uh, come in his defense. Then you had people like Mike Lee, who was a prosecutor, who was a prosecutor in Utah at the time and saw that case come across his desk. And he saw it come across his desk and remembered it when he, when he became a senator that he wanted to prioritize that 
and help to uh, to get Weldon to help get his sentence commuted, which is just phenomenal. Then you have the Koch brothers, the Koch brothers, the infamous Koch brothers, who so many people on the left shit on and say the Koch brothers never do anything good for anybody. They don't care about black people. They don't care about brown people. They don't care about Hispanics. They don't care about anybody. Which, if you just look at the actions of the Koch brothers, and I'm someone who's been pretty well embedded in this criminal justice community for a while, talking to people. I know the movers and shakers and the players. And I will tell you this right now, the Koch brothers, um, they walk the walk in the criminal justice system. Now, you can criticize them in other areas for sure. I'm not going to say you can't. But if you look at their pushes for criminal justice reform, um, I would say maybe if I were them, if I had their money, I would go about it differently and maybe push a little harder to try and end the whole war on drugs. But, you know, I'm not going to rain on their parade for the good things they're doing, helping to get people like Weldon Angelos, um, helping to get others, uh, clemency, really taking up these cases and advocating for them. And also the other big thing the Koch brothers are doing, which is overlooked by a lot of the, uh, a lot of this, just a lot of people don't understand the importance of this, really, from a public safety standpoint. And the Koch brothers are big on reintegration, um, getting people trained, um, and they have some pilot programs. I might try to bring on somebody in the near future here to be interviewed about some of the stuff they're doing, working with. I think it's called Right on Crime. I did interview somebody from uh, from their group not too long ago, a few months back. But uh, you know, I I think that's important. What the Koch brothers are doing important. What uh. You know, politicians like Mike Lee are doing and Rand Paul for criminal justice reform. Good to have that overlap on both sides of the aisle. People like Cory Booker on the left side, what he's doing for uh, criminal justice reform. Fantastic. Even someone like Van Jones. You know, I've talked about Van Jones, somebody who our political ideologies are completely opposite. Um, I'm pretty sure that he used to be a communist or at least a socialist. Uh, and I probably still is, but at least not openly. Uh, but f- from a criminal criminal justice standpoint, we're pretty close. I mean, we're not tracking right on, but we both want to minimize the system. We want to end mass incarceration. Um, I don't know if Van wants to end the war on drugs, but that's an interesting conversation, I think. I'd love to have Van on. If anybody knows Van Jones, come on. Come talk to a libertarian. Let's hash this out. Let's, uh, let's build coalitions. And that's where I'm going with this. Weldon's case was a microcosm of how you build coalitions to achieve a goal, to achieve an objective. Um, you know, when you look at things that have happened, things that have changed in, uh, in society today with, uh, you know, from civil rights to, uh, you know, you look at uh, gay marriage, things like that becoming legalized. Uh, really, times like that, coalitions from the right and the left, the center, from everywhere, people just came together and realized, holy crap, this is an insane injustice. We got to fix this. And that's what's starting to happen. I can feel it happening right now with criminal justice reform, and it is awesome to be a uh, just a tiny, tiny little part of it. So Weldon's case is great. I'm going to link to a bunch of articles about it. I'll link to the uh, the trailer to his uh, to his documentary that he's put together. I'm not sure when it's going to be released. He has a bunch of products projects he's working on. As he said during the interview, he's working on rebuilding his life that has really been tragically was tragically torn from him. Um, for the nonviolent crime of selling a plant uh, to a uh, undercover informant, so a great show. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I want to thank you guys for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this, if you're a longtime listener, if you're a first time listener, you can ignore this. But if you've been listening for a while and you like this, you want more content like this, you'd like us to maybe 
expand the show, do more stuff, please consider becoming a member of our Lions of Liberty Pride, going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, joining up there. We have different levels all the way up from five to 100, really. Uh, but really, five to 25 is where we have slots open to take people to subscribe and donate and support us month to month. You get bonus content, you get merchandise, all kinds of different things. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That's all I got. Thank you guys so much for listening today. And uh, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.